Rangers. Okay, just stay standing here for a minute. I'm going to ask you to do something here. Uh, just in the name of you participating a little bit. So um, put your hands up like this. You can get a little good stretch there. Okay, that's, that's your first move. Next one is down here. Put it out like a T, straight apart. You might have to cut a corner with some people, I know. Don't punch your neighbor. Next one, put them right here over your heart, kind of. Just like cup them over your heart. And then straight up, like it's a holdup, right? Stick them up. Okay, you can put them down, but stay standing. So I want to start just by teaching you a little prayer. that It's called the full body prayer. And uh, I, I learned it a couple months ago at a retreat, and I've been doing it every morning since. And I just want it's to, a, it's a prayer to God a little more, bit more intimately. It's to him in his trinity form, in his trinity nature. And so we're going to pray to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit using those postures that you just had. So I'm just going to lead you through it. So start here and, uh, and let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much and praise you for revealing yourself as love. Thank you for your love first nature. And I pray that because we're here today, Father, that everyone here experience a little bit of that love that you've revealed yourself as. God the Father. And just move your hands straight out, just in the shape of a cross. Jesus, thank you so much for modeling for us what, what that looks like, what that love looks like when it's in flesh and walking around as a human being. I pray, Jesus, that while we are here, because we're here this morning, that we are transformed, that we become a little bit more like you in heart and character and mission and priority. God the Son. Now just put them over, over your chest there, your heart. That's where the Holy Spirit resides. Holy Spirit, I just thank you. Mystery that you are, I thank you that you are here fueling the movement, the mission of God here on earth. And that we have each, at, at least in some small way, have been touched by it. And so I pray that because we're here, that you would like like water flowing from within us, that you would include us in advancing that mission, God the Spirit. And just raise those hands straight up. It's just like a posture of surrender. God, I surrender all. We surrender all. And I pray, even as I pray that, we acknowledge that we are far from living up to that. Really surrendering all to you and all that you are. But we believe, we believe that this is the posture, that this is the thing that would give us access. Our surrender to you is what would give us access to life and life to the full. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Son. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It's in the name of Jesus we pray that you make it so. Amen. Okay, you can have a seat. So I had you do that for a couple of reasons. Remember a few weeks ago, I repented a little bit that the church in general, but our church also specifically is included in this, that we've probably done a, a decent job at sharing with you the need for you to develop a connection, an intimate connection with God. But we probably haven't done as good of a job 
at equipping you with tools and ways that um, have been tested and used to connect to God. And so that is a prayer for the last couple of months that I've done every day. I've done, I've done that one every day. And confessionally, I do it sometimes because it's fast, right? But even when I'm in a hurry, I make time to do that. And sometimes God pulls me in and draws me close, and it has been very beneficial. And so the second reason I'm doing it is because our teaching today is going to dwell on a little bit. It's going to include, I should say, God as Trinity. And so I thought this would be a great time to teach you that prayer to God as Trinity. And I've really enjoyed these last three weeks digging into the work of Christ and exploring precisely what it is God has given us in the work of Jesus as it's been revealed in Scripture. And it's been a great reminder to me just as we've looked at the gifts in, in Jesus' work, that what Jesus came to bring was not a religion. Like, he did not come, Jesus never had it in mind. God never had it in mind. The Spirit has never compelled people to be converted to a religion. It, what he brings, the gifts he brings are not religious, they're human. Have you noticed that as we've gone through his work? They're deeply human. I don't know any human being, and I have... I have had the blessing of experiencing a wide swath of human beings. Okay, a lot of different kinds of us out there. And not one of them are really all that attracted to belief systems and worship practices per se. Okay, like I'm not demonizing those things. They are very useful to help us engage with and live out the point. But they are not the point. But... On the flip side, that same wide swath of human beings, I haven't met one. Not one that hasn't wanted things like friendship, that hasn't wanted to deal with their sin, they, they don't need forgiveness, that I haven't met any human being, no matter what walk of life, that they don't need hope, that they don't need something stable, something reliable, and that works practically, that they can put their faith in. I haven't found anybody that doesn't need that. Not one human being. And that's what we've been walking through in the work of Christ. I hope you're noticing that. Jesus didn't come to bring a religion. He brought Monday, Thursday, and he offers friendship. Good Friday offers forgiveness. Holy Saturday offers faith. And on Resurrection Sunday, he offers hope. And so today, I want to take a look at what Christ offers us, what God gives to us through Jesus' work in his ascension back to heaven. Now, before I do that, real quick, I want to tell you what's coming up next week. We're in for a treat. Uh, Dan Bouchelle, our friend and the executive director of MRN, Mission Resource Network, he's going to be here next week to bless us with his teaching and also to update us. Now, I say update us. Some of you may not know, for the last few years, we have been investing financially in a mission uh, of disciple-making around the Mediterranean Rim where countless refugees are coming up from war-torn countries, and they are coming asking to know about Jesus. I mean, it's amazing. It's unprecedented, this global move of people knocking on church doors, asking to know who Jesus is and what's his message. So we're a part of a team of people that are trying to do that. And the reason we picked that mission, not just because of the epic opportunity that it is, but it also it, it was hopefully going to help us move into it personally. It's not just sending money. So a couple years ago, we sent some leaders over there and got to see it firsthand. Last summer, we had an awesome 
intergenerational group all ready to go on a mission trip there and COVID stopped everything. So, so a lot of that momentum has been halted, but we're still engaged. And at some point we're going to need to re-engage and hopefully um, pick up that momentum. So Dan will be here. And the one thing that didn't stop with COVID, travel did, but the need for Christ did not. And so that's, I, I can't wait to hear Dan's teaching. He's a great teacher, but also to uh, maybe begin the process of re-engaging with our efforts in the Mediterranean Rim personally. So I'm real excited about that. I'm also very excited about the ascension of Christ. The ascension has a day on your calendar. You may not know this. It is always 40 days after Easter, okay? And there's a biblical reason for that. And it's 10 days before another thing on your calendar, Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost and the Ascension are actually married. They're tied at the hip. They're almost like one event, even though they are two different days. And, but I won't be surprised if you didn't know that, if you didn't know Ascension Day, uh, where that is on your calendar, because it just doesn't get the same press as Christmas, you know, the birth and Easter, the resurrection, even Good Friday, the crucifixion, the ascension gets shortchanged. And I am telling you today, definitively, that should not be. Not biblically. And I'm telling you that because it's all over the message of Jesus. The ascension is, Jesus mentions it, it's recorded, it's a part of it, it's referred back to in the letters. The ascension and what happens there is a big deal and it is important, a pivotal and necessary part of the work of Jesus and of his mission. So first and foremost, I'll just give you this one for free. The ascension reminds us. So the ascension we'll read about here in a minute. It's when Jesus, after his resurrection, and he ascended back up into heaven, disappeared in the clouds. First thing that reminds us is that the mission of Jesus began in heaven and ended in heaven. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because I can confess, and I think most Christians do, of the Godhead, when we think of the work and teachings of Jesus, we think the stage for that is earth. Earth is center stage for that. It all revolves around here. But the ascension teaches us that, no, heaven is still center stage, and someone from there just went on a big road trip, right? They just went on a big road trip, but then they went home. And this was probably a pretty exciting day for Jesus. I looked at a book, Philip Yancey, he has a book that he wrote called The Jesus I Never Knew that my brother Lynn Camp reminded me about. There's a chapter in there on the ascension. But one of the quotes in there, he says, if Easter Sunday, the resurrection, was the most exciting day for the disciples in their lives, Jesus, for Jesus, it was probably the day of the ascension. Why? Because he got to go back to his father. It's a great reunion. He got to go home. So a few weeks ago, we had a leadership retreat, the elders and ministers. And as part of that retreat, we divided into small groups of three or four and went out to lunch together just to reconnect. And it was a lot of fun. And at our table, the four of us got into this conversation about uh, road trips. And I cannot talk like competently about a lot of social things that you might talk about in those settings. I just can't. But road trips, when that came up, I smiled real big because I started thinking, I have had in my life, when I really started thinking about it, I've had some epic road trips in my life. Like, like mind-blowing, crazy, incredible. Some of them mission trips, a lot of them not. Just adventure for adventure's sake. I could probably write a book, I thought, maybe six or eight chapters, uh, and just title each chapter, give a name to each of these road trips. And just 
let the chapter be me telling about that story. So here's some of those chapters that I would name, okay? These are real life, okay? The first, chapter one, the hitchhiking trip to Mount Harvard. It's a real trip. It was supposed to be the hitchhiking and train catching trip to Mount Harvard, but I could never figure out how to catch those trains. Second, chapter two, the Arkansas, Louisiana hijack. Yep, there's a story behind that. Here's one, the wicked good rambler adventure from New England to Texas. As a road trip. And then this one, I hope this really piques your interest because it sounds impossible. The motorcycle trip to Australia. Okay. All right. These are all real live road trips that I've been on. You take me to lunch and you pick your chapter and I'll tell it to you. And as great and as meaningful and as memorable as those adventures, those road trips were, I don't remember everything about those road trips, but there's one thing I remember about each one. And it was getting home. It was coming home. That is special. So the ascension of Jesus represented the last leg of his massive mission trip here to earth. And it was his, it was his move home. And it invites us, this whole ascension thing invites us when we think of the story of Jesus to change our perspective of making earth center stage for the life and ministry of Jesus and move it back to heaven where it belongs. And I believe that's important. You remember uh, in history, this is kind of what we did in history. We thought the sun revolved around us, right? We thought the earth was the center stage of the solar system and everything revolved around us. And we had to change our perspective and be reoriented. For Christians, it is just as reorienting and makes sense of things. Just as much as that did in science, this does spiritually. And the Hebrew author kind of alludes to this when he notes that mature Christians, they kind of see themselves after Jesus' road trip as aliens and strangers here. That's part of what he's winning us to, that it's not all about here. This isn't center stage. There's a lot of it here, but that's not it. But admittedly, we are still here. He ascended and we are still here. So we need to ask the question, what does Jesus going home mean for us? So Luke is one of the Bible's authors that considers the ascension noteworthy. Noteworthy enough for him that he records it twice. He has two books in the Bible, and he puts the ascension in both. He ends his gospel, the book of Luke, tells the whole story of Jesus here on earth. He ends it with an accounting of the ascension. And then volume two of Luke is Acts, and it's the beginning and the birth and the expansion of the church. And he begins Acts with the ascension. I'm going to read to you the Acts version. Here it is. This is Luke. In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. That's why we have Ascension Day is 40 days after the resurrection is right there, that verse. And he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized, in case they forgot, here it was. For John baptized with water, water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's why Pentecost is 10 days later, and that's considered they're they're married at the hip. So So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, guys, come on, stay with me here, focus. It's not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has said by his own authority. Track with me. We're talking about the Holy Spirit and this day that's coming. 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. Hid him from their sight. So, so there's so much here. I've preached, I think, three or four times on the ascension since I've been with you. And each time I'm learning new things because it's just been so neglected. So just two things for today that we can get from the ascension, that the work of Christ in the ascension. First is, first realization is Jesus didn't stop working when he went home. He didn't stop working. He's still at work. For me, the road trip like ended when I got home. For him, what he was doing just started. Where do I see that? Right at the beginning. Luke says, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Really? Okay, so how much of your former book was the beginning? Maybe the first five chapters? First ten chapters? How, how much of, what, of all of the work of Jesus he did, how much of it is the beginning? I would imagine it's somewhere towards chapter one. But he says... No, he says, all that he began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. All of it. Everything we know and study about the work of Jesus on earth was just the beginning. It was was just starting. The ascension was the end of the beginning, of the tip of the iceberg of what he's doing. When he ascended, we're told in other scripture that he went and sat down at the right hand of God. And he is ruling. But do not think that was a resting sit down. It wasn't. He's leaning forward. He is still actively engaged. In what? The same thing he was doing while he was here. He was teaching. He's still teaching. He was healing. He's still healing. He was forgiving. He's still forgiving. He was still, he is still kingdom bringing. He is still Satan defeating. He is still doing everything that we saw him do while he was here. He is still doing from the throne room in heaven. Okay? How's he doing it from up there? We saw how he did it from here. See, one thing did change. He's not doing it down here in the flesh anymore of Jesus. He's up there. So what changed with the ascension was how he went about doing the work. How he did it down here was just the beginning. He's still at work, still active. But how he changed is different. How he did it is his change is what I'm saying. And this is it. This is the second thing I want you to take away. Jesus is ruling his kingdom from heaven through the Holy Spirit. This has implications. This means something. And in this speech, remember, he told them, I've talked to you about this before, and we can go back and look where he did. But they didn't get it, the disciples. So they just do what's in their mind. Oh, so I don't know what that means, but now that means you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He goes, no, no, I, I told you about this. Just stay here because I am going to go up there, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit down, and then we can go global. He actually says earlier that, he, that it's better for this to happen. He's saying, I'm going to continue precisely what I've been doing while I'm with you, only now I'm going to do it through you, and beyond that, through others. And we're going global. Not just here in Jerusalem anymore, not just in this Mediterranean area, in this Middle Eastern area, but the whole world. So we do flip back to John 16 and we see one of the times he was mentioning this. They didn't get it because he was starting to unpack with them. I'm going to die, I'm going to come back to life, and then I'm going to go back to my father. 
And he's saying it as if this is great news. And they're reacting like you lost me at you're going to die. That you can't die. You just got here. We've just begun. That part they were right about. That he says, so he says, listen, he sees their faces is what I'm imagining. He says, because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. But I'm telling you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. They had no clue why that was better. And maybe we haven't learned much different. Have you ever been one of those people that said, man, if I was just alive back then when Jesus was here. If you've ever said that, then you don't understand the ascension. You don't understand that it's better. I heard in my study this week, I heard an analogy used that really kind of explains the change when Jesus ascended. The change in how he is ruling and how he's advancing the kingdom. So it centers on this huge dam in Egypt. It's called the Aswan High Dam. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I've only read about it. It stands 375 feet high. It's 11,000 feet across and it spans the powerful Nile River in Egypt. And it provides hydroelectric power. So its history is back in 1953, President Nasser announced the plan for it. It took 17 years to build it. So they got to 1970 and they were done. And then they had this great dedication ceremony where they were going to throw the switch, turn on these 12 massive turbines with their 10 billion kilowatt hour capacity. I don't know what that means, but it sounds powerful. It sounds huge. And sure enough, after that day, the powerful Nile River, when they flipped that switch, delivered energy to the whole nation of Egypt. The whole nation was now fueled by the power of the Nile. Now, when they were building this dam, they didn't shut the Nile down completely. They let the water go through, even while they were filling the reservoir back there and building it, because there are people that live downstream that already are enjoying the life-giving power of the Nile. They fish in it. They, they play in it. They bathe in it. They cook with it. They, 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 they live on it. They power their little wind, wood mill things. I'm thinking little house on the prairie, you know, that thing, those things. They do that. They, they write songs about it. They, they, they are grateful for it. They are already, there's a few people on the planet in the nation of Egypt that are already enjoying the life-giving power of the Nile. But when that dam was built and when they threw that switch, the power of the Nile was, was harnessed and now everyone could enjoy and experience the life-giving power of this river. That's what happened at the ascension. Don't ever forget it. Jesus was like that. Through the ascension, 10 gazillion, trillion, billion kilowatts of heaven's power was unleashed onto the planet. It was powerful, those people that got to walk with Jesus and experience all the power of heaven in the body of Jesus. But he said it's going to be better. When I go there, a switch is going to be flipped. I'm sending the Spirit, and it's going to reside in you. And it's going to go global. And the whole world is going to be able to experience Jesus 
as intimately as you guys are while I'm here. That's what's about to happen. That's what's happening in the ascension. It is precisely because of the ascension that all of the power of Jesus, all of the experience that any of those disciples could have with Jesus and witness, that's why it's available for you to have that experience with Jesus is because of the ascension. You can have that experience and maybe even have a more intimate relationship with him because you're not just walking with Jesus like them. He is in you. He resides in in you. So I want to go back one more time with that in mind now at the ascension. We'll go back to a teaching of Jesus to finish up here and listen to it through that lens because nobody got it when he first said it. A lot of us didn't. But now we got it. So let me ask our elders and our ministers because we're going to finish with this. Go ahead and move outside and out to the places and around the room. That's just if any of you need a touch today, then That's why we make this walk. So if ministers and elders can go ahead and take that move is I read to you from John 7. So Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles and this is what he says. It's on the last and greatest day of the feast. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Now, Luke knew they didn't get it, and so he went ahead and put some commentary here to explain. He said, by this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Because up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Church, we're there. Jesus has been glorified. He sits where he said he would, ruling, and he sent his Holy Spirit down to fuel this thing and to fuel you. And what that means for you personally, I hope you can see what it means for the world, but what it means for you personally is if you're thirsty, in any way a human being is thirsting, emotionally, mentally, physically, if you're lonely, if you're grieving, if you're feeling despair or hopelessness, in any way that a human being is thirsty, you can come to him now and get your drink because of the ascension. And he doesn't stop there. He says not only that, but those streams of living water that everyone needs is not just going to be in you quenching your thirst. It's going to flow from you to those that you love and to those that you meet and learn to love. We're going global on this thing. It's that personal and that intimate. And it's that global, and it's that universal. That's our Lord, and that's what we have in the ascension, and that's the invitation. That's the invitation, and that's the mission. That's how we as a church can even fathom and imagine to live up to what we're trying to say we are. It's the only way we'll be a love-first group of people. It's the only way we will transform more and more to be like Jesus And it's the only way that we will actually be engaged in advancing his loving mission. That's our God. Thank you to the Holy Spirit. Do you need him? You need him? Are you ready? You ready to do this? Surrender to him?
Let's stand and let's sing and be grateful to God for the ascension.